there are all kinds of things that Jesus said that that I think are challenging or are difficult to hear. And some of them, some of them, uh, at least I know for, for me personally, if I'm honest, some of them I want to argue with. Do you, do you ever read something in the scripture that Jesus said and be like, what? Am I the only one that feels that way? I mean, yeah, every once in a while you just kind of get to something that Jesus says and you say, huh? How? What? Sure, really? Here's a couple of them. Don't worry about your life. Yeah, thanks, Jesus. Don't, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Seek first the kingdom of God. So are we just supposed to sit and pray all day? Not worry about what we eat, not worry about what we drink, not, not worry about what we wear. Just, just sit and pray. Here's another one. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Ouch. And what about the place where, where Paul says that we're supposed to lift up the weaker parts of our body? What, what, what do we do with that? Here's another one. If anyone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. All right. If they want your jacket, give them your shirt too. If they want you to carry their stuff for a mile, don't just take it one mile, take it two. All right, Jesus. Or how about this one? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Was Jesus actually serious? We're supposed to love and pray for our enemies? What does that even look like in a world that's as divided as as today's world? So much of what Jesus said, so much of what he invited his followers to, to do, invited us to do, invites us to stand in this tension, in this this discomfort, in this place that's ah what what do we what do we do with this? How do we handle this? This morning, uh, we're, we're going to continue in our series in the Beatitudes, and, and we're, we're going to talk about blessed are the peacemakers. And, and I want to say that uh, the invitation to be a peacemaker is an invitation to stand in discomfort. It, it is an invitation to stand in, in the places where, where Jesus kind of says one thing, and we go, ah, okay, Jesus. So we'll be again in Matthew chapter 5, and as we turn there, will you join me in prayer? Uh, gracious God, sometimes following you is a, is a call to discomfort. And as we open up your word this morning, we ask that we'd be receptive to what you have for us. God, give us ears to hear what you have. And Lord, I ask that you take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we've, we've worked through the last couple of weeks, the, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and as we've worked through, I've kind of tried to remind us of, of, of two realities. And that, that first reality is that when, when, Jesus, when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, he starts it with the benediction. He starts it with the way that we typically end our sermons. So, you know, I stand up here at the very end. I'm going to do it in 40 minutes. Stand up, I'm not going to preach for 40 minutes. Don't worry. I'll stand up here at the very end and I'll say, hey... Go and take this with you. Blessings on you. That's how Jesus starts his message. He starts with the blessings and then he gets into, and, and here's how you live. Here's how you live. 
So that's first. And then, then secondly, we've walked through the structure of these beatitudes, the structure of these, these blessings. And first we see that, that Jesus blesses those who are in need. He, he blesses those who are broken, who the rest of the world saw as outcasts. And he blessed them. These people had a unique understanding of the world. And because they had a unique understanding of the world, they also had a unique understanding of how God worked. And the image, the image that we, we kind of talked about here is, is that, that it's somebody who's on their knees and reaching out. And reaching out. They're in need. And because they're in need, they see God a specific Way. So Jesus blesses those who are in need. And then secondly, we talked about the, the reality that Jesus blesses those who help. So last week we talked about Jesus blessing the merciful and the pure in heart. And the image that we can see here is the image of, of people reaching out, standing up and reaching out. Today we're continuing in that as we talk about Jesus blessing the peacemaker. And then lastly, in the Beatitudes, we, we see this picture of, of someone who's been so beat up. They're on their back. I'm not going to lay down on the chancel again. Um, they're on their back and they're, they're reaching up because they're at their wit's end. And they have a unique perspective on God because of their view. They, they've been persecuted. So by now, hopefully we've, we've, we've seen how, how the sermon begins. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been reading it out loud together. I'm going to read this first part and then invite you to join with me in reading the Beatitudes again. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying this. Join with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So this month, February, is, is Black History Month. And, and next week, the choir is going to be singing an African-American spiritual, right? Yeah, hopefully. We're going we're, we're gonna to do it, right? Um, and in our bulletin, in our order of worship, we're going to uh, have an insert that includes some of the, the significant people in our denomination, some of the significant African-Americans in our denomination. And I invite you to take that home and kind of read through it. Uh, as, as a white American, as a pastor, one of the stories that has always caught my attention about our, our country um, is, is the story of the Koinonia farm. Do any of you know the story? It's out of Georgia. And so maybe, maybe not. Um, the Koinonia Farm it was founded by a guy named Clarence Jordan in 1942. And Clarence had this dream of creating a community based off of what Luke describes in the first part of Acts. And, and so they shared everything they had on this farm. They made sure that everyone was paid a living wage, no matter their color, no matter where they came from. And they focused on Jesus' teachings together. Neighbors got frustrated. Neighboring farms got frustrated with what, what Clarence was doing. And, and they were frustrated because locals c- couldn't believe that, that the Koinonia farm was hosting worship services where everybody worshiped together. But, but they were more frustrated because of the reality that, that Jordan was paying people living wages. So, so the neighboring farms couldn't afford to hire people be, because you got paid more if you worked at Clarence's farm. 
And so they worked there. Now, Clarence didn't get really caught up in the drama of his day. He was often invited to, to go on different marches, and he, he didn't do that. Um, and he didn't speak up in public about racial injustice or, or anything like that. He just lived a certain way. He believed that the best way to change society, the best way to make peace in his day, was to engage conflict in a manner that encouraged conversation. So that when a farmer said, what are you doing? He said, let's sit down and talk about it. Let, let's sit down and, and, and talk about it. So when other farmers tried to shut him down, he, he went to his brother who helped him start the farm. His brother's name was Robert. Robert was a lawyer who, who ended up becoming a state senator. And, and he asked him to represent the farm in court. Robert said, no, you know I can't do that. And Clarence pushed back. Robert talked about his political and professional aspirations, and he said, I, I, I won't just lose my job, I won't just lose my, my house, I'll lose everything I've worked for. I'll, I'll lose it all. And Clarence said, I, I thought we went to the same church growing up as kids. We both grew up in the same small Baptist church. What happened? Why, why won't you represent this, these people, this farm? When the preacher asked if we followed Jesus, we both said, yes, yes, we do. And Robert said, this is the part that always haunts me, I follow Jesus up to a point. I'll follow him to the cross, but I'm not getting on the cross. I'm not getting crucified myself. The brothers went back and forth talking about the, the difference between following Jesus, between being a disciple of Jesus and simply admiring him. The dilemma that they faced might look different than some of the dilemmas we face today, but some of the questions that they wrestled with are questions that, that we wrestle with. What, what does it look like when following Jesus calls us to stand in hard places? And we live in a divided world. What does it look like when following Jesus calls us to be peacemakers in the divided world like we live in today? What do we do when Jesus' words challenge us? How should we respond when the call to follow Jesus pushes us outside of our comfort zones? When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he invites us to be challenged and to stand in those ah, uncomfortable places. It's a call to work toward wholeness, a call to work toward reconciliation, even when there's no simple answer or, or, or no obvious solution. When we think of peace in our culture, we, we typically have, have two lines of thought. We, we think of an inner tranquility of sorts, a, a peace of mind, or we picture the absence of conflict, the absence of, of war. So there's this the type of peace that kind of has to do with ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with it. We, we spend all kinds of time and energy trying to find this peace. It's not necessarily bad. Again, we go on a walk. We go on a run. We get a massage. We, we pick up the phone and we, we call a friend. For me, that peace looks like a long bike ride or a nice cup of coffee before my kids wake up. Oh. It's kind of that inner, ah, that inner peace. And then there's the type of peace that's this kind of grandiose peace. It's what we've been praying for and searching for and, and hoping for in places like the Middle East for so long. Where diplomats 
and negotiators save lives as they work for peace. So there's kind of this, this internal personal peace and then there's kind of this grandiose big peace. But biblical shalom peace is, is a little different. It includes those things. The sort of thing that, that Jesus is talking about here, it, it includes those things, but it, but it looks a little different. Biblical shalom is, is complete wellness, complete wholeness, both internally and externally. So it includes our understanding of peace, but there's more. It's, it, it's a world that is just. A world that, that everybody is, is at peace. It's one of, uh, it isn't one of winners and losers where a small percentage of people are well off and others are poor, where some people understand their value in society and others see themselves as worthless. So, so seeking shalom is about working toward the wholeness of entire communities, making the world a better place. And I would suggest for us, that starts in our neighborhoods. That, that starts by knocking on a neighbor's door. That starts by passing the peace on Sunday morning. That starts with taking the peace of Christ out of church on Sunday morning, remember after the benediction, and, and talking with people. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he's essentially saying, blessed are those who work toward wholeness in every area of their lives. Blessed are the people who are doing the difficult work of reconciliation in a divided world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that's that's trying to to find its way. And he talks about what Jesus did for humankind and and what Jesus' actions meant for the way they were supposed to live together. And and he writes this. He writes all this. and, And by this, all that Jesus did, all that Jesus said, all that Jesus invites us to be a part of, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. You ever think of yourself that way? We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is the act of making something right. Very simple. It's the act of making something right. One of my favorite Theological Dictionaries puts it this way. It's the process of reestablishing a proper relationship after something has caused brokenness or disruption. The process of reestablishing a proper relationship after something has caused, caused brokenness or disruption. So as God reconciles us to God's self through Jesus, a broken relationship is restored. And as we work for reconciliation, hostility is removed, disruptive systems are repaired, and relationships are are put back together. Now, whenever I think of reconciliation, whenever I think of of peacemaking, I I can't help but think of my dad and his twin brother. My dad, uh, I I grew up with an uncle that I never knew. My dad's twin, I I never knew until we kind of got to this place about eight years ago where I said, Dad, this is ridiculous. I want to meet your twin brother. I want want to meet your twin brother. What what does this this look like? 
why aren't you talking? And, and they reached out and I flew out to Indiana and I, I, I met him and I, I thought, wow. And now my dad and his brother, they, they talk all the time. They talk all the time. We often think about peacemaking in these big, broad strokes. But again, sometimes it's just picking up the phone and calling someone. Calling someone that you haven't talked to in a while. Knocking on a neighbor's door. There, there's plenty of examples of peacemaking in Scripture. And, and here are ju- just a few. Um, first, there, there's a story of Joseph and his brothers. Many of us know that story. Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, right? Um, the brothers get jealous of him. They do all kinds of awful things. They sell him into slavery. They leave him to die. And years later, when they show up in need after the famine, Joseph says, you guys tried to kill me. Why are you here? That's not what he says. He welcomes them in. He gives them hugs. He gives them what they need. He says, bring dad here. Peacemaking. Later, there's, there's a story, and it should be Jonathan and David, not Nathan and David. Um, that's my fault. Lady, there's, there's a, a story where King Saul is threatened by, by David, and, and he seeks to kill him, and, and his son Jonathan steps in on David's behalf. And the two become great friends, Jonathan and David. And, and when Jesus promises the disciples the Holy Spirit, when he's talking about, hey, here's what's coming, Here, here's what it's going to look like, here's what you're called to do, here's where you're called to kind of stand in that tension of some of these hard things I've, I've said, he says, you won't be standing alone. I, I've, I've sent you an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And he says this in, in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I, not, I do not give as the, the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peacemaking is hard work. Peacemaking doesn't come naturally. And, and I like Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit because it reminds us that, that we can't do it on our own. It doesn't come naturally. We need help to be peacemakers. So just like last week when I, I asked us a couple questions and I said, hey, I want to keep these questions, uh, I want you to keep these questions in front of yourself. These aren't questions for you to go and grill each other and say, hey, how are you doing? These are questions to kind of take a pulse on how we are doing ourselves. So how are we doing with peacemaking? A couple of questions I'd invite us to ask ourselves. First, what does it look like to follow Jesus in this situation? When you find yourself in difficult places, are you thinking, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus in this situation? What happens when we find ourselves in one of those tough spots? Maybe a, a tense conversation or a place where someone is being put down or someone is being hurt. What does it look like to follow Jesus in that situation? Ask yourself that question. Secondly, who do I know, who do you know that sees the world differently than I do, than you do? When was the last time I or you sought them out for a conversation? I have a, a couple of friends who know I'm a pastor and they aren't Christian. They often um, text me during church and say, hey, I know you're preaching. I know, I know you're preaching and they'll try to throw me off. They'll try to throw me off. But, but these friends are so valuable because they see the world differently than, than I see them. Who are those people for you? Who are the people who see the world differently than you? And, and do you spend time 
listening to them. Thirdly, in difficult or tense circumstances, just a couple questions. Am I calm? Am I calm? Do I understand the other? Do I understand the other person? This gets back to some of what we talked about last week where, where we, we believe that um, we're called to respect every person because every person is created in God's image. Do we understand the other? Is opening my mouth going to help or hurt? How many of you ever opened your mouth and caused more damage? You don't really have to open it and raise your hand. Um, I, I, do it, I do it all the time. I, I do it all the time, but 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 these questions, these questions, especially this last one, reminds us of what James said: slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak. Is opening my mouth going to help or hurt right now? And then lastly, how am I actively working for wholeness and reconciliation in my family, church, neighborhood? And country. I think sometimes we, we talk about peacemaking and, and, and we, we have this image of, of being a doormat. And that is not what being a peacemaker is about. It's not about allowing people to walk all over you. It's also not passive. It's not about avoiding conflict. I'll confess to you that sometimes I'm a conflict avoider. I'd rather just, yeah, I'm not going to deal with it. But if I'm to be a peacemaker, I need to deal with that conflict. So it's not passive. It's not about being a doormat. It's actually the opposite. It's being proactive with reconciliation, working to do whatever we can to make things right in a world that is obviously broken. Now, the second part of this, this beatitude says that those who work toward peace, toward shalom, toward reconciliation, toward wholeness, shall be called children of God. Earlier in our service, we prayed a a litany of confession that John led us through out of Isaiah 2. And I want you to hear these lines again, just a few of them. Deliver us from excessive certitude about ourselves. Hold us in the deep ambiguity where we find ourselves. Show us yet again the gaping space between your will and our feeble imagination. Sound your mantra with more authority, with more indignation, through sadness and hope, blessed be the peacemakers. May we work to bring wholeness in our communities, to reconcile broken relationships, and to make peace in places where it seems impossible. Amen?